Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Can I give you a fact to begin today's show? And this is one of those things where maybe you care about this, maybe you don't. It's only, I guess, partially interesting, but it sort of sets us up for where we want to go today. And it kind of involves some of those like fancy stat analytics things that you see sometimes. Are you familiar with the website 538.com? They kind of cover the, the analytics spectrum across the world, obviously in sports, but sometimes in politics and sometimes even in other sort of areas where data kind of matters. They're just sort of a statistical based website. And for some of you, that's absolutely as boring as it sounds. But the point is, is they had a story the other day as it relates to college football. And we kind of think of college football as being a little bit of a top heavy sport right now. And according to the guy that wrote this for 538, that college football, at least in terms of their modeling and their percentage chance of so and so winning the national championship, that college football has never been more top heavy than it is right now that if you take the two top three favorites alabama ohio state georgia the same three teams that you see rated in the top three of every poll the two official polls coaches ap and everything else you know the sort of way too early top 25s and just random dudes opinion whatever else those top three teams are across the board all over the place that if you take the top three there bama ohio state georgia for as far back as you want to go the the odds of one of those three teams winning the national championship has never been more concentrated than it is right now that i think the overall number they have is around 70 percent chance that either alabama georgia or ohio state wins the national championship for as long as they've kind of tracked this stuff or you know far back as they want to go tracking the numbers they've never seen this much national championship potential congregated in so few teams right there at the top there's kind of a you know slight chance the number four team number five team might win it and then there's like a 10 percent chance that anybody else in the entire country beyond those top five teams wins the national championship that is how top heavy college football is viewed to be right now and the reason why this is kind of interesting because while we may not care about the fancy stats and they tabulate all this we might not even really understand how they tabulate a lot of that kind of stuff with our own eyes we can sort of see that some version that's probably true that yeah you know if you're a betting person are you really making a bet on like the sixth or seventh best team in the country right now to win the national championship that doesn't really feel like a very wise thing to do necessarily or just in terms of what you watch on a saturday in saturday out basis it's pretty clear that you know bama and georgia have kind of outpaced you know just about everybody in ohio state while not in the playoff a year ago is trying to do the same kind of thing this year even our own eye test sort of backs up what the uh, you know calculator folks would say in terms of who has a chance to win the national championship and how little chance exists for almost anybody else that just kind of backs up what we have with our own eyes and here's the other thing that you probably also noticed as well and this is definitely relevant for georgia who has a big week one marquee game against the oregon ducks not only do you notice the idea that this sort of feels like it is true i think you notice a lot of people openly wishing that it wouldn't be true 
openly wishing that it won't quite be quite so easy to predict and the idea that if you're not a Bama fan or an Ohio State fan or a Georgia fan there is just something pretty disappointing about the idea that we got four playoff spots and three of them have already been earned and two of them are the exact same two teams that played for the national championship a year ago that if you're like an Illinois fan or a Syracuse fan or an Arizona State fan just a random college football fan that just sort of watches the sport you know the notion that three quarters of the playoff is already settled that's a little bit unsettling or a little bit disappointing to think for a lot of folks and that's why you see I believe from time to time what almost feels like a little bit of a bias against Georgia or a little bit of a you know media motivation to talk up something other than Georgia because Georgia won the national championship a year ago are they going to really crowd their way in and become kind of a twin pillar to Alabama and are they going to really render the sport this boring and that's what a lot of what week one kind of is about against Oregon it is a chance for the people who desperately want parity. It is a chance for the people who desperately want college football to have some mystery and some intrigue, for there to be a reason to watch week in, week out. It is a chance for those people to kind of get their wish if Oregon even plays Georgia close. Because if Oregon even comes out week one, two Saturdays from now, playing Georgia close, at least there's a little bit of a signal at that point in time, hey, maybe it won't be quite so easy for Georgia this year. Maybe they did lose too much off a national championship team a year ago. And if Notre Dame were to do the same thing with Ohio State week one, maybe there's a chance that's true. And week two when Alabama goes to Texas that's a weaker opponent than the other two I'm talking about but it is a true road game for Alabama maybe that's kind of the case there that that maybe there are some big non-conference games in the beginning or near the beginning of the season that would make it more likely there could be a, a little parity uh, when it comes to college football here this year. Of course, now, if you're a Georgia fan, you're not worried about the overall health of the sport. You're not worried about what somebody sitting in Tulsa, Oklahoma does for entertainment. You want to see Georgia come out and render all of this a moot point. You want to see Georgia come out and do exactly this year what it did a year ago, which is drag the opponents that it plays up and down the field and be in kind of laugher games in the fourth quarter. You want Georgia to make it look just as easy this year as it did a year ago. You want to disappoint all those people who are hoping that this season finally provides a little bit of parity and ultimately that is what this upcoming or I should say two Saturdays from now is ultimately about it is about Georgia's chance to demonstrate that no matter how much you hope they've been decimated by the 15 draft picks they've lost no matter how much you hope they've been decimated by the five first round picks they've lost on defense and no matter how much you may hope that last year's offensive performance where Georgia was actually eighth in the country in points scored per game that somehow that ends up being smoke and mirrors and Georgia actually isn't quite as good offensively uh, this year as it was a year ago that no matter how much some folks may hope that's true not because they hate Georgia just because they don't want to be bored that no matter how much you hope all of that's true the fact of the matter is Georgia's going to go out there and demonstrate that the new boss is the same as the old boss that what Georgia did last season close game against Clemson then dominating everybody else for the entirety of the regular season it might be ready to pick up here week one of the 2022 season doing the exact kind of thing and if it does that it's important to keep in mind this is all part of, I don't want to say grand plan for Kirby Smart, but there is a reason that Georgia plays in the kinds of games it's playing in against Oregon, whether it be true road games, and Georgia's got some of those scheduled in the future. It went to Notre Dame in 2017, or the kind of neutral site stuff like being in Charlotte for Clemson a year ago, or Oregon right now that 
Kirby Smart ultimately believes that great players want to play on great teams and great teams prove themselves in really big games. It's a scheduling philosophy that works out great for us as fans because it makes the Georgia seasons, for those of us who love them, far more entertaining. And a marquee opponent like Oregon, recognized uniform, some players that you've heard of. It's a chance for Georgia very early in the year to prove what it's all about for the upcoming season. And on Saturday, when Kirby Smart met with the media, he talked about this a little bit that, hey, you know, as long as he's got some control over this, knowing that you've got to be ready for big games in the SEC, why not play a big game to get ready for what's coming for you after that? I love this scheduling philosophy from Kirby Smart, and I want you to hear this as a part of the conversation that we're having right now. For our scheduling philosophy, it's never changed for us. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, you, you look at it as if you make decisions right now for right now. Decisions made for this year and next year were made a long time ago. And it's always been my philosophy to go play a uh, quality opponent, a power five opponent, a big matchup. I don't care if it's home and home. I don't care if it's neutral side. I mean, go play a good team because I really believe that helps your team get better. And when you play in the SEC, you're going to run the gauntlet anyway. What's one more team playing a really tough physical team? We don't run from that at Georgia. I embrace that. Our fans want that. I want that. I think that generates a lot more excitement. I think you recruit off of that when you go and, and you get to sell opening the game and playing in, in big time venues um so i think that's important but uh as far as the philosophy with us playing uh, more sec games if that happens then, then so be it it's not going to change our philosophy of what we do non-conference we had already moved to that before the the, the realignment and all the things going on we were, we were already trying to schedule three big games a year and uh that's that's just the way we think it's best i think it's an interesting statement from smart that he seemingly wants Georgia to play the toughest possible schedule it can play, including, as he said, they had this big pursuit for even more high-profile non-conference games. Georgia's supposed to travel to Oklahoma, for instance, next year. There's been some chatter that the game may not end up being played because of the potential changes, not even potential, the imminent changes to the SEC schedule. We don't quite yet know how the SEC schedule is going to change, but we know in the future it is going to change. And because of these uh, impending changes – that the Georgia-Oklahoma game may become a casualty to all of that. However, I've been kind of, you know, it's been indicated to me that Smart actually still wants to play at Oklahoma next season. Even with all the uncertainty of what the future is going to look like, I've been told that Smart does not want to let go of that game, even if it does eventually end up not being played. That's how valuable Smart kind of sees the chance to play big games near the beginning of the season and to prove itself in non-conference play as much as Georgia has proven itself in SEC play over the last couple of years. That's what Smart loves to do. And that is what next Saturday provides the chance for. For all these folks who say, ah, Georgia's just not going to quite be national championship level here this year. Well, the fact is, as 538 wrote, that's not what the fancy stat analytics seems to say. The fancy stat analytics seems to say that Georgia's right there with the Alabamas, the Ohio States, as as teams most likely to win the national championship. And the performance against the Ducks could be proof of that. And by the way, what's kind of cool about this time of year, too, is this is the time we kind of transition away from sort of preseason camp type talk of you know depth chart and who's going to be the third string this and who's going to be the whatever that and now you kind of not that that's not not important and, and not in its own way fun but now you get into something that's even I think more fun than that which is kind of really zeroing in on those true game prep type of things I mean a couple of weeks ago when Smart was asked about the week one game against Oregon at that point in time he totally begged off the question didn't want to talk about that at all that was not something that he was willing to entertain at that point whatsoever but on Saturday, 
all of a sudden that's not quite such a distant topic anymore. All of a sudden on Saturday, getting a little bit more geared up to play the Ducks is something that he's going to acknowledge, yeah, they are doing. Coaches have been doing that, now getting ready to present that game plan to players. We have finally reached the preparations for Georgia's first game, and Smart's words on Saturday provide an indication of that too. No, we don't touch it just yet. I mean, we would be kind of reassessing our team and our roster, stacking the roster. We're going to look at some numbers and say, you know, if we had to go on the road in the SEC, who are the 70, who are the 80, who are the 85, where those numbers fall, what are the decisions we got to make. If we're not taking that guy, then we're taking that guy. We've got a lot of things to look at uh, in the next day or two as the players get a little recovery time. Um, we'll, we'll start working kind of coaches on Oregon in the next couple of days, but not with the players until uh, later in the week. And we'll work on some, some future opponents we got before the off week uh, in the coming days, just, just so we have a little bit of a history there when we get ready to play them. So let me see if I can kind of sum all of this up as George gets ready for Oregon two Saturdays from now. I think it provides a very important measuring stick for those of us that are just naturally curious about what George is going to be. The truth is, is that once you get past Oregon, for many weeks, Georgia's not going to really be playing any kind of ranked opponent. This is a very manageable schedule, it would seem, on paper for Georgia this year. Sometimes certain games have a way of surprising you, but on paper, the best that we can tell, the Georgia regular season schedule is pretty manageable. Now, the downside of that is, for those of us who kind of want to find out what Georgia's all about, some of these week-in, week-out opponents that you'll be playing won't really provide you the opportunity to learn that because Georgia's going to dominate them even if they don't play particularly well. That's just going to be kind of the way that, that that all of that goes. So all the more reason to see Georgia come out and send the message against Oregon because it's an indication to us that, hey, this Georgia team really may be on its way to being just as good as all of us hoped they would be. And to the folks outside the bubble of Dog Nation who are hoping for the opposite, who are hoping that this year's college football season isn't boring, this year's college football season has the chance for some mystery and the chance for some intrigue, and that maybe the national champions from a year ago uh, are going to take a step back, Georgia can let it be known that no, you may want that to be true, but it's not true. Georgia is just as viable a contender in this year's season towards this year's national championship as it was a year ago when it brought the trophy home. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Good morning to you, and thanks for being with us. And a big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making it all possible. Whether you join us at 945 for our first and 15 at dognation.com or on the Dog Nation app, or after that, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We're happy to have you with us across all of our Fruited Plain video platforms, podcast as well, Apple, Spotify, everything else. And for those of you that listen to the radio each and every day on Athens Sports Radio 960 Ref, we certainly appreciate that there as well. And we have a huge thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of George for making it all possible. You know, ESOG, a great sponsor for us because they've been longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily. And I'm always so grateful for those of you that help support those that have supported us. And that's certainly what Jay and the entire team at Engineered Solutions of Georgia has been all about. They're also proud partners of UGA, and that's kind of cool to support those that are truly supporting the dogs, and that's Engineered Solutions of Georgia there as well. But it's what they can do for you that also matters a lot to me. I'm talking about foundation and waterproofing issues. Over the course of the next few days, we are slated to have a good bit of rain. And for some of you, the notion of rain brings a little bit of anxiety because you either are fearful that water is going to show up where it's not supposed to be, or you sort of know that water is going to show up where it's not supposed to be. You see the evidence of it all around you. Those wet spots in your garage, your basement, your crawl space, things like that. Well, that's what Engineered Solutions of Georgia exists to fix for you. They have an entire team of engineers on staff. That's 
something that nobody else in our market can say. They've got an entire team of resources devoted to solving your issues when it comes to your foundation, your waterproofing stuff. And you know the foundation things to look for there too. You see the cracks in your walls or you see the start of what appears to be a crack in your walls. Well, that's another reason why you want to pick up the phone and simply dial 678-ESOG now. That's the great thing. Getting in contact with Engineered Solutions of Georgia is simply that easy. Just dial 678-ESOG now. And guess what? If you've got a small problem, they'll tell you that. And they'll say, go to the hardware store and buy you know whatever needs to be bought. But if it's something more substantial, if it's something that's going to require a little more work, all the more reason to lean on their expertise, the entire team of engineers they have, that can help you protect something that probably really matters to you, which is the structural integrity of your home. That's what it's all about. So our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia are all about that. So give them a call, 678-ESOG now. That is 678-ESOG now. All right, before we get Connor Riley here and do a Kroger Fresh Take with him, I want to go around the dog house with you for a couple of moments. And it's brought to you today by our friends at Georgia's own credit union. Now, we kind of talked off the top of the show a little bit about this kind of disconnect that exists between Georgia fans who hope this season is as boring as possible with Georgia just laying waste to everybody that plays and kind of a larger perception nationally that maybe Georgia will do the rest of the country a favor and maybe it'll have the decency to regress a little bit and give somebody else a chance for a while and they'll say the same thing to a degree about Ohio State and Alabama but it's almost like that Georgia gets the brunt of this because Georgia's kind of the the newcomer to the party they're sort of like the new money in this discussion you know Alabama and Ohio State are kind of the old money the sort of uh, sophisticated society folks and Georgia's kind of the party crasher here a little bit so there's this you know sense that you know hey you know hopefully Georgia will have the decency to regress to give somebody else a chance to feel like they're actually involved in the season and for the people who really want that to be true the one thing they keep zeroing in on is all that Georgia's lost from a year ago and it's easy to understand why they would do that it's not an insignificant topic we would acknowledge that too but what's amazing to me is is that there is this large assumption on the part of non-Georgia fans whether it be opposing fan or just like media person that somehow the guys that Georgia has waiting to step in in place of the guys who have left Georgia are somehow not Georgia caliber players. Have you noticed this? That that um, no one seems to be all that, I guess, intuitive about the notion of, well, Georgia lost a Georgia caliber recruit to the NFL, but somehow they don't expect the guy that's stepping in is also a Georgia caliber recruit, somebody who came in with similar accolades to what the, the, the previous first round picks from last year's team kind of had. And I don't know there's any place on the Georgia roster where this is more true than at the inside linebacker spot. This may be the true epicenter, if you will, a little bit bigger word than maybe I should be using, but the true epicenter of the disconnect that exists between what Georgia fans know their team maybe brings to the table and what non-Georgia fans outside the bubble of dog nation sort of hopes Georgia isn't bringing to the table for this upcoming season. And you know the departures. N'Kobe Dean was the Buckus Award winner. Uh, Quay Walker was the first round draft pick Channing Tindall was the backup who could have been a star on many other teams but bided his time and became a major contributor towards Georgia national Georgia's national championship a year ago there is no doubt those are big losses for UGA and there's no doubt that Georgia probably couldn't have gotten better play from its inside linebackers than it did a year ago and so it is fair to ask well what is left after all three of those guys have moved on to the NFL But what Georgia fans have gotten quite comfortable with is a guy like Jamon Dumas Johnson. I've told you before that 
even if Jamon Dumas Johnson's the next Nicobe Dean or the next Roquan Smith, the odds are that probably does not happen for him until his third year on campus, which is not this year. That'd be next year. So I, I, I certainly don't want to oversell uh, Pop, as they call him, as the next Roquan or the next Kobe, because even if that is true, you're talking about still sometime in the future where that really comes to fruition. But that doesn't mean that he's not already a good player. And to go along with guys like Xavier Sori and Smile Modin, who have gotten a lot of camp buzz, and guys like Tresman Marshall, who seem to be healthy now, that if you've gotten good play from those guys, then all of a sudden that's helped you plug a hole that legitimately you really do have. And in addition to just being a capable performer on the field, Jamon Dumas Johnson seems also poised to step up as a leader as well. I thought he had a very interesting press conference the other day uh, towards the end of last week, just kind of meeting with the media. And one of the things that he kind of discussed there for a moment is both stepping into the role from those departed leaders who have now moved on to the NFL and what he learned from these guys. So here's a reason why UGA fans are a little more comfortable with their situation in 2022 than some folks outside the bubble of dog nation think they probably should be because the degree to which Georgia fans think they've already learned a lot about Jamon Dumas Johnson, including stuff from this press conference from last week. Take a listen to this. My goals this year is just to be the best that we can be this season. Not just me, but the whole team. And keep the same Georgia standard as if they never left. What's the biggest thing you learned playing behind Nicobe next year? Um, IQ. And, you know, Nicobe is a smart guy, but I didn't just learn from Nicobe. I learned from Quay. I learned from all of them. Mm-hmm. And I took pieces and pieces from their, each of their game mm-hmm. and molded it in my game. Isn't that great? Talk about what he learned from those guys who are no longer here and the pieces from this. I took a piece from Quay Walker, a piece from Nicobe Dean, a piece from Channing Tendall, and that's how I'm molding my game. Can you imagine what the Frankenstein's monster of a little bit of Quay Walker and a little bit of Nicobe Dean, a little bit of Channing Tendall would look like? Can you imagine that? And I know he's speaking figuratively when he says that, but it does kind of get your imagination running wild a little bit, doesn't it? And this is what it's all about for Georgia fans. They like what a guy like Javon Dumas Johnson brings to the table. And they think that everybody in the country is going to soon be aware of exactly what the guy they call Pop is all about. And he's not the only example, but he may be the best example of you think Georgia lost all these great players, but Georgia's got Georgia-level players ready to step in in place of them. And as I mentioned a moment ago, next Saturday against Oregon will be the perfect chance to demonstrate just how true this is to the entire country, who you know is going to be tuned in there that day. That's Around the Doghouse. It's presented today by our friends at Georgia's Own Credit Union. And listen, Georgia's Own's got a great thing for you right now. As you're moving into a fall time of year where you're kind of traveling a lot, you're going to games, you're getting ready to start buying some gifts and some things like that. Well, as you move to this time of year, maybe nothing more convenient for you to take with you than one of those visa signature and platinum cards from our friends at georgia's own credit union they are a great way to take care and purchase all the things that you're doing on a regular basis anyway you can earn flex rewards on these that can be used for basically anything that's one of the cool things about having the visa signature and platinum card it's the incentives you get for using it i'm talking about gift cards cash back travel merchandise you can also earn up to 150 dollars when you open a new platinum or signature card and there are some restrictions that apply so you want to find out more and you you want to apply here today at georgiasown.org. That's the website, georgiasown.org. Great to have Georgia's Own Credit Union as a part of Around the Doghouse here today. All right, so we've got a lot coming up. Um, let me just tell you this really quickly before we bring on Connor Riley. So on Thursday, I'll remind you this again before the show's done, but on Thursday, that's two days from now, today's Tuesday, two days from now, we have very special guest that's going to join us, 
and we have a very big announcement we're going to make. So we are looking forward so much to all the cool things we have going on as we get ready to kick off the 2022 season. And some of that we can be allow you to be made aware of coming up on Thursday. So two days from now, special guest, big announcement. We'll look forward to doing that then. So I hope you'll tune in with us for all of that. But for now, Georgia suffered a pretty significant injury. We'll find out more about kind of the aftermath of that, some observations for what's been going on at UGA practice, and those preparations beginning in earnest for the Oregon Ducks. Let's do all of that right now. Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Well, welcome in Connor uh, Riley here as part of a Kroger Fresh Take here today. And unfortunately, the big news has been related to the Andrew Paul injury. So let's do the bad stuff, Connor, before we get to the good, the more fun stuff. And I'm curious to your perspective on all this because I think the sense that I've gotten from folks like you who are at Georgia practice more frequently than I am is that Paul was having a good camp and was going to be a contributor for Georgia's running back depth uh, prior to this injury. It, it sort of seems like to me that, hey, you know, maybe Georgia doesn't quite have as many, you know, total bodies in that running back room as you sort of wish they do if you were a UGA fan. But if you can keep your top end performers healthy, then you may still have, you know, quite a lot going for you at the running back spot here this year that, you know, maybe you'll envy some other folks in terms of the total number of backs they have available, but they might envy you in terms of the potential bell cow like Kenny McIntosh and guys like Dejon Edwards and a win healthy Kendall Milton who can certainly help, you know, certainly fill the void here that Georgia needs that running back spot. You know, what is your perspective on all of this? Yeah, first, B, I said the big news is that special guest we've got coming on Thursday. There you go. I don't often hear an introduction like that. But, uh, sure. you know, I've gone back and forth on this. Uh, yeah, St. Drew Paul was having a good camp. I think we can we can say that, especially given the expectations of him coming in as a summer arrival. Uh, he was ahead of Branson Robinson in terms of development, in terms of where they had both shown they were. But uh, he was still Georgia's fourth string running back, and, and you know, like he, I was, he was not ahead of Dejon Edwards. I think Dejon Edwards is still going to play a significant role, probably even a more significant role now. And I'm really interested in seeing what he looks like there. I, I do think the, the larger point you make though there is is long term depth, season long depth, because you really only have to look at Alabama last year. From you know they they started the year I believe five scholarship running backs and by the end of the year uh, they were down to two Brian Robinson and Trey Sanders and Brian Robinson was not 100 percent at the end of the season because they had to ride him so heavily because so many other guys had gotten injured there at the position and so you can easily see that scenario folding out uh, I think this is probably the point as I wrote this morning uh, Kenny McIntosh if you're making a list of the five best guys who've had the five best camps he's on it. And I think he's pretty clearly established himself as the number one running back, perhaps in a way that Georgia hasn't had. Maybe since DeAndre Swift last year at Georgia here, where he is, in my opinion, head and shoulders above what Georgia has in that running back room right now. I think Kendall Milton is very much a question mark in terms of, you know, what are you going to get out of him for a full season? He's going to have good games. There are games where he's going to be healthy, but I don't know how when you look at his injury history to this point, and then he has the hamstring injury this fall already, how you can rely on him to be a full-season contributor. I think when you add that in to losing Andrew Paul for the season, a promising running back, no doubt, 
I think it's in conjunction with those two that you start to get worried long-term about this running back depth. Yeah, I think you and I are on the same page in this. I talked a little bit about this yesterday, that DeAndre Swift in 2019 had nearly 200 carries. I think it was 196. It was right there at 200. And when Kirby Smart this past Saturday follows up his pretty effusive praise of Kenny McIntosh with a very similar statement again, Connor, I'm a fan. You know that. I'm going to speak as a fan for a moment. If the guy that Kirby's talked about the last two Saturdays had to get 200 carries for the dogs, I think I'm probably fine with that. I am very, very eager to see what Kenny McIntosh brings to the table here this fall. I think it's been, you call it one of the top five stories. I think that's definitely true. I have, I have very, I've been very intrigued by the degree to which that Smart has praised McIntosh when asked about him directly. This seems like a pretty interesting development for UGA, just kind of based on Kirby's sort of typical way of sidestepping a lot of this kind of stuff he seems very willing to promote mcintosh the moment and i take that to mean something yeah and you know and i first sort of noticed you know del mcgee when we spoke to him a few weeks ago he also brought up that deandre swift comparison there in terms of of pass catching ability and as i wrote this morning that you know uh, kenny mcintosh i think has been a good bit more durable than deandre swift now obviously kenny hasn't had the workload that deandre has but you know that 2019 season going into that lsu game DeAndre Swift had 193 carries, and he had already he had picked up an injury in the Georgia Tech game, and he finished the year with only three carries in Georgia's last two games. So if he had, you know, sort of been at that healthy mark, he would have, I think, blown past that 200-yard mark. And so I found it interesting when, when Kirby spoke about Kenny again this weekend. He talked about the importance of him maintaining weight and being in that 205 to 210 range there. And I do think that, you know, that's going to be something important this season to follow now. Now that we, I, I think, clearly see Kenny McIntosh as RB1, is how do they go about managing him and, and maximizing what he is able to give them? Because I think he's clearly outperformed this fall what I think many predicted that he might be able to give Georgia this year. I think he's clearly going to give more than that. The question of how do you get the most out of him while also making sure he is still fresh enough to make an impact there at the end of the season in those big games against, say, Alabama or Ohio State in the college football playoff. Moving on to kind of some of what's been going on at practice, the best that I can tell, and you kind of alluded to this last week, it seems like this is coming true, that Kamari Laster is in the on the verge of or has already won that cornerback spot opposite Keeley Ringo. And, and the I guess the degree to which this has happened kind of makes me feel more confident in Laster and the fact that he seems to have had a really strong camp and he kind of put himself at the forefront here. He certainly played his way into this position, which I think if you're a UGA fan, you take as good news. I think the fact that Tate Ratlett seems a little healthier now than he did a week ago, I take that as pretty good news, I think. Uh, what else is kind of standing out to you uh, I would say the the inside linebacker spot opposite uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson seems like there's some positive developments there too. What are your kind of I guess sort of standout thoughts having seen some practice, having you know talked to some people who seeing more of it than than maybe we have? You know, kind of what are your kind of camp thoughts here at the moment? Yeah, I think one on Kamari Lasher. I think maybe the biggest thing that that should inspire confidence about what he's able to give is Nolan Green's had a pretty good camp and he made a real push there opposite Kamari Lasseter, and Lasseter did what I think you want players to do and rise and elevate to the moment, and he's very clearly done that so far this fall there. And so I do think, you know, again, referencing, you know, if you're making a list of top five camp standouts, I think Kamari Lasseter has to be on it there as well. I think there are two – I sort of touched on this last week in a longer sort of notebook story that I wrote 
there are two freshmen that are really interesting to me because of the way and the versatility that they have been used so far and I think are going to be used this season. That would be Malachi Starks on the defensive side of the ball and Oscar Delp on the offensive side. I'll start with Delp. You know, that tight end room is very talented, and I don't know how many snaps he's going to see as a true put his hand down in the dirt tight end this year, but I know they really like what he gives them as a wide receiver, and it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest with his size and speed capabilities to see that Georgia move him around, try and get him out in space and get creative with how they use him. And by all accounts, he's had a very strong camp there. And then on the defensive side of the ball, Dan Jackson is still starting the Oregon game. Dan Jackson is going to be an important player in the secondary this year. But this Georgia staff is trying to throw everything they can at Malachi Starks because they know later on in the year they're going to need him and they're going to need him to be a big-time player in this secondary. And it sounds like, you know, after his close start to camp, he is sort of starting to pick it up there. And so while these guys, you know, what, what their role looks like against Oregon, I don't know yet, and I don't know how big it is. But I've been very encouraged by the later stage camp development of those two freshmen, two guys that I think are going to play a pretty big role for Georgia this season. So I think I told you this, maybe I, maybe I didn't, but when I was at practice the other day for just like that, you know, brief window you get to watch it, you know, having not seen any practices prior to that, to me, Oscar Delt was the visually most impressive thing that I watched because I specifically watched the pass catchers. I was trying to watch the wide receivers, but as you know, Connor, when you sort of work these tight ends in that same drill, it's kind of just sort of a play polish quarterback throwing to pass catcher type drill. You can't take your eyes off the tight ends because they're just so awe inspiring. You know, watching how big he is, and you know Gilbert for his own reasons, and you know Bowers because of how he runs. But seeing number four. He just looks so good in a uniform, and it's crazy to think that that might be Georgia's number four tight end, or it's crazy to think that he's kind of among a group of impressive freshmen on the Georgia roster because on a different team in a different situation, he might be the only thing anybody's talking about. Like, like it's just amazing how even on a field full of kind of impressive guys, he already looks the part, even though he hasn't played his first college game yet. Now, the drill I'm watching is not any kind of like amazing thing it does you know it's it just more about the the look that he gives off where your eyes are kind of drawn to a guy that's already filling out that uniform pretty well despite the fact that he was in high school like five minutes ago yeah 90 percent of the teams in the country oscar Dell would be the first guy off the bus uh he is that physically impressive he uh i, I think is a really promising young player and like the fact that you have darnell arik brock and, and then you have brock bowers and oscar Dell for multiple years there at that tight end position. Uh, you see, uh, you know, I, I think there's obviously a lot of optimism about the Georgia tight end position this season, but, I mean, they're going to be, I think, even better in the future with, you know, depending on what Darnell is able to give them this year and how Oscar Delp goes about developing. One other guy that I do want to shout out that is a, a freshman who, you know, I don't know what his role looks like this season because his position is fairly loaded like the tight end one. Darius Smith is going to be a player. That mm. guy is long. That guy is athletic. That guy, that guy might be first guy off the bus for Georgia one day as well. And so I think with this, you know, this incoming freshman class, I know there's been a good amount of hand-wringing about, oh, you know, where is this national title recruiting bump? Uh, when are they going to start, you know, recruiting at the level, say, Alabama is? I look out there and I look at and see some of these freshmen and the guys that Georgia is bringing in. It's hard to imagine that teams are going out there bringing in more physically impressive players than what Georgia has done in this recruiting class already. I want to talk about Oregon coming up in a moment. Let me do one more thing kind of on this topic before we get there. And you talked about Malachi Starks a moment ago and – the sense that I get, Connor, as I'm guessing you've probably had enough fan interaction where you're kind of getting some of this too, is that Dan Jackson is going to be a very polarizing figure for this Georgia team here this year at the safety spot. He's going to be playing, and he may very well be starting. 
obviously against Oregon next Saturday. And for some people, this represents a really cool story. I'm a little bit of a Dan Jackson homer because he's from my uh, home. To, uh, you know, he's from Hall County. I'm from Hall County. So I got a little bit of a Hall County homerism uh, thing going on there with him a little bit. But I also think that he's done a good job for UGA. And there are other people who are like, oh, you can't have a walk on safety, you know, playing for a team that wants to, try to win a national championship. And I guess my response to all that, Connor, is is that if Malachi Starks is supposed to overtake him, eventually that will happen. Or if a Tyke Smith were to get healthy, it'd be him. Or you know whatever name that you want to mention, uh, even Shakur Thomas, if you want to have him in the conversation. That that if if someone's supposed to overtake Dan Jackson, eventually they will. And honestly, in the case of Malachi Starks, I do believe that he's probably going to be too good to keep off the field. Certainly, when the games start mattering the most late in the year, and kind of that sort of you know. November turning into December time of the year my guess is Starks is probably playing a lot but I already sort of get the sense that from some fans there's almost a little too much being made of Dan Jackson right now because of his status as a uh, walk-on do you get the same kind of vibe going on there with that at the moment it's Seth and Bennett all over again uh you know Dan Jackson does nothing wrong he goes out there and he does the best he can he's blocked punch before uh and Brandon, what was the most consequential play of Georgia's season last year? It would have been the Keeley Ringo interception return for a touchdown. And correct me if I'm wrong, Dan Jackson was on the field on that play, correct? Dan, yeah, he was more than on the field on that play. <laughs> yeah, so we know that Dan, Dan Jackson can play, and Georgia's willing to count on Dan, Jack, Dan Jackson in the biggest of moments there. And he's gotten better this offseason. I've heard very good things about how well he is testing athletically and what he's going to be able to do. You know, he, he might not be Richard LeCount, Jared Reed, uh, Lewis Dean, Georgia's long line of great safeties. But he's very clearly going to be a player and, and quite frankly, someone in college football that we should celebrate, a guy who was a, a walk-on who simply just by hard work and just busting his tail in both the classroom and on the football field has carved out a very nice role for himself in the uh, on a national championship contending team. And, I mean, look, it's not his fault that a bunch of safeties have transferred out because they were concerned about playing time. And, and you know, sure, if Malachi Starks ends up being all that Georgia thinks he can be, maybe he does end up passing him. So that's how Malachi starts to make the improvements to exceed what Dan Jackson has done. That is, it is no fault of Dan Jackson that he was not a five-star recruit coming out of high school. And so I think anything that you were able to get out of him, and I do think he can be a very useful player for this defense this year, should absolutely be celebrated. And then very quickly, because I want to change the subject, my Starks, uh, whatever you want to call it, like uh, antenna is sky high right now. Like, I really mm-hmm. do think there's a chance that he's one of the special ones, one of the special ones to come through here. And that's putting a lot on a guy that hasn't played. Like I, I, I think eventually he's, you know, going to be a big, you know, time player on this team this season. But I've got no problem with Dan Jackson against Oregon. I've, I've got no problem with that whatsoever. To give Starks a chance to kind of grow into what I truly think he'll be sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I think one thing that gets a little glossed over when it comes to, to uh, Malachi Starks. It's the first time in his life that he's really focusing and just playing safety. Yeah. When he was at Jefferson High School, he was playing both sides of the ball. He was playing linebacker for them. He was doing a lot of different things for them. And, you know, at that safety position, I think maybe more than anything else, a lot of it is inst- instincts and just being able to trust yourself and what you're doing. When you're playing a position like that for the first time, much less at a greater competition level than you had in high school, there's going to be some growing pains and some learning curves there. And so I think the important thing, you know, especially with the five-star ranking that he came in with, people are going to be very eager to see how he performs and how he plays. Patience is, I think, the name of the game when it comes to Malachi Starks this season. I think eventually he does get on the field and does so in a big way for Georgia. But you don't want to put him out there before he's too ready and too green and thus second-guessing himself just because he has outrageous 
athletic tools. All right, Connor, good stuff. I want to ask about the Oregon game coming up in a moment. Before that, though, let me remind folks, this is our Kroger Fresh Take here on Dog Nation Daily here today. And, of course, uh, one of the things we've been telling you about for a while there is going to KrogerChefJr.com and taking advantage. A couple times a month, it becomes available for you. It's a chance for your kids to get a chance to make a really cool menu item and be a part of the food preparation process, learning about that, but also taste some good food there in the process. Just get them more excited sometimes about eating healthier foods when they're actually the ones that get a chance to cook that. And it's $7 per child. And if you go to KrogerChefJr.com, you can find out about some great opportunities to experience this coming up in the month of September, which is always a really fun thing. And by the way, one more chance to do this here for the month of August there as well, coming up on August the the 27th, uh, this upcoming Saturday, you get a chance to be a part of that. KrogerChefJr.com the fruit pizza uh you can do that as i said before just seven dollars per child and for doing so your child's going to get an apron and a patch a chef's hat a recipe card and box also a pizza cutter so check out krogerchefjr.com for a lot more on that so connor uh oregon prep it's i think it's starting to begin kirby smart obviously alluded to some of that on saturday and i love this time of year when you really do kind of get into not sort of preseason talk but actual in-season talk it sort of feels like we're there now and the point that i made before our show began today is the Oregon game for Georgia is a great chance to sort of send that message that for all the people who are hoping for parity, for all the people who are hoping that, hey, maybe Georgia does regress just to kind of make the conversation around college football a little more interesting, I think that Georgia has a chance this, you know, two Saturdays from now to sort of ruin some people's fall and remind them that things haven't changed as much as you hoped they would and there may be some new faces in some new places, but this is essentially still Georgia against Oregon two weeks from now. That's sort of what I think it's about there for the dogs. Kind of where are you at right now on, you know, Georgia versus Oregon here coming up in a couple Saturdays? Yeah, B.A., I'll indulge you with a, with a Star Wars reference here. I, I think this is going to be uh, Return of the Jedi, uh, and the Rebels realize, oh, wait a minute, the Death Star is operational. We're in big trouble here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's a trap. Uh, to quote the great Admiral Akbar, and, and I think I think this is a, a Georgia team that you know, yes, winning the national championship was the end all be all, and obviously Georgia's gone out and accomplished that. But this is what Kirby Smart was always building to. It, it wasn't to be a, a one year team, a team where all the stars align perfectly and Georgia wins the national title. It's going to be, yeah, we lost some talent from last year, but we're still so loaded and we still have we still develop so well. We're going to be one of the five best teams on a year-in, year-out basis. And, yeah, you're going to need some breaks to go your way over the course of said season, just like Georgia is last year and just like Georgia will once again need this year. But I think it's indisputable that at the start of this season that Georgia is one of the five and probably even three best teams in the country. And I think they're really eager to go out there and show, hey, yeah, we lost a lot of talent off of last year's team, but we're just as good and it may be in some areas, if not better this year than what we showed a year ago. And I think this Oregon team – a team that is talented, a team that could very well win the Pac-12, but uh, a team that Georgia is, I think, a good bit better than and will be eager to show it uh, on September 3rd in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And not only do I think that's a good message to send to the rest of the country, and as a Georgia fan, I like the idea of doing that. Connor, I'll also acknowledge that I think the Georgia fans themselves need something from this game, too, because after the Oregon game, it's a long time before Georgia has any measuring stick game whatsoever. In fact, there's a chance there isn't a measuring stick game in the rest of the regular season. That's a long time to have to wait to wonder, well, how good is my team really if they're winning a game 37 nothing? but should they be winning at 57 to nothing? Like, you know, it's one of those things where for some Georgia fans, you know, they'll be left to wonder how good their team really is. Well, against this Oregon team, you know, in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, if Georgia goes out there and flexes a little bit, 
then I think it can be a source of comfort for UGA fans as they go through what might be a little bit of a lackluster regular season just because of how big of a favorite Georgia may be on most Saturdays that, oh yeah, I did see something week one that gives me an idea of how good this team really may be come December because there may be some regular season Saturdays after the Oregon game where you don't get a lot of usable data because of just how dominant Georgia might be. And I'll say this as well, you know, obviously a lot of this fan base is still basking in and celebrating last year's national championship, but I think what a big win against Oregon will do will will sort of reawaken them and be like, hey, last year was fantastic, an all-time year, like, can't be topped. Let's go out there, let's do it again. Let's have fun, let's dominate college football again and show that we're one of the best teams in the country, and we're going to do that against an Oregon team that is maybe the toast of the Pac-12 and a team where if things go right for them, a potential college football playoff contender – Let's say, hey, we lost five first-round defensive draft picks. We lost their defensive coordinator. And we're going to come out and we're going to be just as good as we were last year in some areas. And I think the eagerness to see that, and Georgia goes out there and shows that and makes maybe a statement against Oregon there in the first game, not necessarily saying it's going to happen. But if that does, I think there's going to be a lot of excitement about what this team can do and how it can look this season given all that that 2021 team meant to so many different people. And very quickly before I let you go, flipping it, I have to admit – this is not a game that I think should be close. If it is close, even if Georgia wins, then Connor, that's probably a little bit. And Michael Carvel, our producer, puts up my uh, previous prediction on this that I'm calling for a Georgia shutout. But um, I, I do like the team total under for Oregon there that day. That's not mm-hmm. a blowhardy thing to say. But nonetheless, um, if it's not, if it is a close game, if Georgia wins, but it's not exactly very impressive, you know, this is the kind of spot where Georgia shouldn't be kicking a field goal late to win. It shouldn't be winning by seven points. And if it does. No. And that's probably a little bit of a message that maybe there are some growing pains here and that the transition from national championship year to some new look guys on defense or whatever else, that maybe there is something to, to, to some of that kind of stuff. That if Georgia doesn't play well, you have to sort of call it what it is, which is a real missed opportunity to prove that you've turned the page. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way of putting it. Georgia has a chance to go out there and make a statement in that first game there. And, and maybe in a way – you know, a lot of national media folks may not be expecting. This is a 3.30 game instead of, you know, a later kickoff. Uh, they gave that to Notre Dame, Ohio State, which is certainly understandable given the size of those two brands. But, you know, I, I think so many people out there assume that, oh, Georgia's going to take a step back this year because they won a title last year. It's the first time in 41 years. They're going to overindulge themselves and, and not be quite the same level of team. And I do think that Kirby Smart in particular relishes this opportunity here because he knows – as he continues building this thing out and Georgia keeps going to playoffs and maybe wins another championship, two, three, four, however many they do win, uh, they're not going to have this, this chance to, to be counted as an underdog or to be counted out, sort of, so to speak, from a national perspective a whole lot longer. And I think if you're a coach, you can absolutely use that and build off of that. And so I'm really interested in seeing how this Georgia team comes out and has a chance to really make this first statement this opening week of the 2022 season against one of what I still think is the better team, one of the better teams in the country from a total standpoint in Oregon. Connor, great stuff. Thanks for being here as part of our Kroger Fresh Take here today. I know you've got some great stuff coming at dognation.com too. We'll look forward to reading that and, of course, seeing you back here on Dog Nation Daily again very soon as well. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure, B.A. Good stuff. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I think one of the most appropriate things you can do is set the right level of expectation. In other words, you know, for Georgia this year, even though they lost a bunch of guys off a national championship team, this isn't, hey, be happy about winning the SEC East. That's not, that's not 
what it is based on what we think we understand on paper right now about this team now who knows how things happen over the course of a year and maybe some new data would come in and some circumstances unforeseen might occur and all of a sudden maybe you might kind of reconsider what it means to just win the sec east but georgia from a season-long expectation standpoint a sort of a season in goal standpoint no reason this year should be any different than last year and when teams that have national championship aspirations from the sec play in week one neutral site non-conference games the sec team typically dominates in those moments georgia's playing in its home state in a stadium that it knows very well oregon is a pac-12 team traveling west to east historically that hasn't gone very well now they did win at ohio state a year ago but that sort of tells me about what ohio state wasn't more so than what oregon was this is the kind of game that georgia should dominate the 18 point number seems about right if not you know liking georgia minus those points there in that instance the other day bo nick said something assuming he's going to be the starting quarterback that kind of got some attention about how that they were comfortable treating this as a true road game or whatever that he said everybody sort of makes a big deal about everything these days and that kind of had sort of a big deal you know made uh, about it but i sort of got the, the thing that nicks was kind of saying about that of hey is this a bowl game or is this a road game well when you're playing in somebody else's state when the crowd's going to be you know 80 20 red and black as opposed to green and gold at that point in time then no you're in a road game mindset you are treating this as if you're traveling into a hostile territory this is not a you know bowl game this is not a you know a, a oklahoma texas georgia florida style neutral site affair this is true hostile territory oregon approaching it as such and so georgia that's got every advantage in this game it ought to dominate oregon if it doesn't then if sort of to call that what it is which is maybe more reason for concern than right now we think should reasonably exist around uga that's just trying to set the right expectation for the game in terms of what success would really be we'll talk more about the dogs and the ducks of course as we get closer for now let's get ready to go cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and let's get ready to start getting you going on your either first royal caribbean cruise vacation or maybe your next royal caribbean cruise vacation you already know this is a great time to do that it's so much fun to see the ships on the seas and uh you know for me i'm kind of a big ship guy i just like being on what you call like the oasis class of ship there's various classes of ships and they're kind of named after one of the ships in that class the oasis class really the largest class uh, of ships in the fleet for royal caribbean and i like the oasis class because you just got so much stuff to do you know you're, if you're watching a video you see the flow right on the back of the ship you see all the cool things that exist for kids you see you know the rock climbing wall you got the great you know collection of bars and lounges and you go ice skating on a cruise ship can you believe that like that that's the kind of entertainment that's available to you when you take advantage of you know what happens on board a royal caribbean cruise ship now listen you could hear me talk about it and i think you should take my word for it but i want you to have a conversation with somebody who's really adept at helping you get like the right royal caribbean cruise vacation for you maybe the ship that i love isn't perfect for you but there is a ship that is perfect for you my friend jessica slater can help you out with that she's with dream vacations and she's like a royal caribbean expert she's sent so many people on royal caribbean cruise vacations and not only is she going to get you the best royal caribbean experience but she's going to you know give you all the insight you need but to get the most out of that experience so give her a call 770-718-9147 i'll read it again 770-718-9147 you can also find her online dreamvacations.com slash j slater that's dreamvacations.com slash j slater jessica is just the best and she's going to help you get a great royal caribbean cruise vacation she helped me book my royal caribbean cruise vacation so uh that's how much i love jessica and she's going to help you there as well so make sure you check her out today 
All right. I saw Paul Feinbaum the other day. He was on one of the radio interviews that he does. And he was talking about Jimbo Fisher, the Texas A&M coach. And he said of Jimbo that Jimbo is the SEC coach this season under the most pressure of the upcoming season. I got to tell you, I don't agree with that at all. And I think it speaks to a huge disconnect that I believe exists related to kind of how some people perceive Fisher and how that those closest to him, those Aggie fans there in College Station, how they perceive their guy. I got to tell you, this is not dissimilar to the disconnect that probably existed prior to last year between Kirby Smart, Georgia fans' view of him, and folks outside the bubble of Dog Nation, how they viewed Kirby Smart. Now, that's not the same thing as saying that I think that Fisher's going to eventually travel the same path and win a national championship at Texas A&M. I don't know if he'll do that or not. But I do think that Texas A&M fans are far more willing to be patient with Jimbo than some of the media types are. I think that much the same way that a year ago you heard a lot of folks trying to push the, well, if Kirby Smart don't win a national championship now, when is he going to do it? Like, you know, that sort of just sort of pushing that sort of now or never narrative around Kirby Smart. And that seemed ridiculous to us. We called that out at the moment. I think there's this thought around the same thing with Texas A&M this year of, well, you got to win right now. You just had the number one class in the country a year ago. But the truth is, Aggies fans are a little smarter than that, I think. I think they know that the return on investment from a number one recruiting class is not immediate. Georgia's first number one class came in 2018. Georgia's national championship came in 2021. That's, you know, it's not an immediate one for one breakthrough, one compared to the other. Here's the other thing that I think that um, Aggies fans kind of also understand. I don't think you can easily describe the nature of the rebuild that Jimbo Fisher had to undertake at Texas A&M. Texas A&M was a pillow soft Big 12 style program, and that's simply not going to work in the SEC. You may be fun to watch for a game or two, and you may have a guy like Kevin Sumlin and a quarterback like Johnny Manziel, and you may shock the world and upset Alabama, but it's never going to matter for very much that you've got to build lines of scrimmage. You've got to build defense. You've got to build running game. And you've got to pair quarterback with that if you want to win it all. And in a roundabout way, it's sort of easier to catch lightning in a bottle and find a quarterback than it is to sort of build the program in all those other areas. But that is what Jimbo Fisher has kind of done. And it's one of the reasons why I think that Jimbo is actually doing a pretty good job at A&M, despite the fact that you know he gets a lot of grief and he's kind of like the source of a lot of controversy seemingly. But, the, but, but if you really watch what's happening at Texas A&M, they're actually, I think, pretty confident in what Fisher may eventually be able to do, and they're not going to be tricked into accelerating the timeline for which he's, in which he's supposed to succeed, much the same way that Georgia fans a year ago weren't going to be kind of caught off guard by that. If you want to know the SEC coach this year that's truly under the most pressure, it's obviously Brian Harson. Now, the only way in which that might not be true for him there at Auburn is if he's so at the end of his rope there that it's like you've you know heard the phrase that once all hope is lost, the only thing left is relief. Like maybe 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 Harson's just sort of let go. Like at this point in time, he's got nothing left to uh, nothing nothing left to worry about. But in terms of a guy who's actually coaching for his job and coaching, knowing there are people with power and sway who don't want him to have that job, clearly Harson's the guy with the most pressure. By the way. Speaking of Harson and Fisher, interesting to note that Zach Calzada, who was with Jimbo a year ago, helped lead A&M to the victory over Alabama, then transferred to Auburn. I think the buzz early camp was that Calzada would be the starting quarterback. If you pay attention to buzz coming out of Auburn as of late, 
that's kind of changed. It seems like uh, T.J. Finley's a much bigger part of this conversation. Maybe even Robbie Ashford's a little bit of a part of this conversation. And apparently Calzada's just not having a very good summer. So kind of file this away here a little bit. For high-profile transfer quarterbacks that don't end up starting after they transfer. Very good chance that's what's going to happen to Jackson Dart at Ole Miss. It seems like it might also happen with Zach Calzada at Auburn. So just kind of keep that in mind there. We're talking about coaches under pressure, but the quarterback that played for both these guys, worth considering there too. Speaking of transfers, one of the big stories at Tennessee right now is the status of Brew McCoy. Now, McCoy's transferred by my count about a half dozen times. But most recently at USC, went to Tennessee. And as of now, McCoy has still not gotten any kind of eligibility, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like like ruling on his status the upcoming year. And there had been some chatter that USC might be sort of blocking his release, which I think to some people kind of is a little bit of a bad look because USC's whole dadgum roster is transfers. Like, who are you to block somebody else's, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, release because he transferred more than one time. So by by rule, he's not he doesn't have like the free one time transfer because he's used that twelve years ago. Um, he transferred before he even enrolled in college, so he's transferred you know a gazillion times. So you know USC, I, I guess, is in some you know role of granting his release. They have come out and said, hey, we're not blocking his eligibility at all. We think he should be eligible, but somehow, some way, this is kind of grinding. In most cases, when a program does freely grant the release, the the eligibility ruling from the NCAA is kind of a formality. Um, all of this is kind of a mess. Tennessee needs another wide receiver uh, just because they're certainly not going to stop anybody on defense. They're going to have to try to score as many points as they can. And McCoy's former five stars. This is not a small deal necessarily. Uh, but at Tennessee, they are still waiting to find out news on this. And one more, and once again, kind of a transfer-themed story. I guess you have a lot of that. So Quinn Ewers has been named starting quarterback at Texas. Now, this all goes down very strange. And if you, like, kind of troll around in the message board world, there are a lot of rumors related to this, which I, I don't know how you know what to say about one way or another. But just the way in which Ewers was announced as starting quarterback for Texas was very strange. This was like an official release from the team, like not a statement from Steve Sarkeesian, which led some to wonder, is this Sarkeesian's decision? You know, <laughs> has, the, has the future that we all feared of boosters telling coaches who they're going to be starting, has this already begun? And that's why like the SID's office is announcing Quinn Ewers as starting quarterback uh, in the subsequent time. Uh, Sarkeesian has come out and sort of made a statement about why Ewers won the job. But you'll know, the, and you'll remember what the story on Quinn Ewers was, he was you know, Texas quarterback, high school kid who for, uh, decided to forego his senior year, went to Ohio State for some imaginary sum of NIL money that was always grossly exaggerated. Uh, then after being in Columbus for a year, sees how good the other quarterbacks are, including C.J. Stroud, comes back to Texas, been in a battle with Hudson Card, and apparently – it's always kind of hard to know. Is it really a close quarterback competition, or, you, or or do you just not want Hudson Card to transfer? I mean, we never quite know the answer to that. But it sounds like this one's at least been somewhat contested because Card himself is probably a you know a decent little talent. But nonetheless, that very high profile transfer back to the state of Texas to go to the University of Texas, Quinn Ewers, after having been in Ohio State, he has now been named as starting quarterback for the Longhorns, and this seemingly comes coupled with about as much drama as you assume it would for a program like Texas who seems to be a drama factory about every single thing that he does and will make that cruising around the SEC 
courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Before we fire up the music and close out the show, let me give you one more reminder that coming up on Thursday, special guest, special announcement. So at that point in time, we'll be one week away from a huge event there at Marlowe's Tavern to kick off the upcoming season. And that big event gets even bigger in just a couple of days. So we'll see you there Thursday, September 1st at the Marlowe's in Dunwoody. But I may not be the only name of note joining us at that big event. So stay tuned for a lot more on that. We'll have it for you there at that point in time. Speaking of big names, our buddy Mad Dog is among the biggest when it comes to golden shoe contributions. And boy, this is a good one here today. We told you about getting ready for Oregon a little earlier. He says when you're preparing for September 3rd, he says this on Twitter and sends the picture of Stetson Bennett bagging the lemon or at least coming close to that when it comes to bringing in all these ducks here. Yeah, you love the duck blonde. You love Bennett there on that. Showing off the UGA camo gear as he does so. Fresh new haircut there too. Uh, so in true Stequavia style, Stetson Bennett getting ready to bring home a whole bunch of those uh, uh, trophy ducks there coming up here very very soon so good stuff from mad dog there on that congratulations to him will make him a golden shoe winner once again and our gator hater update how about the lousy stinking gators four thousand and nine hundred seventy five days since they have won a national championship long time just 25 away from five grand that's kind of cool and how about our gator hater updater 67 days from right now georgia back in jacksville beating florida again We will see you tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. We'll take your comments here, either at Twitter, Dog Nation Daily, or in the comment section there, dognation.com. I put out a call yesterday because I want to do our Give Me Five piece up at dognation.com this week, and I got some really good stuff, to be honest with you. I'm going to look forward to like making this a part of the piece, and I think it'll show up at dognation.com on Thursday but I wanted to address one thing here really quick that somebody wrote to me. And I think this is this is one of those things, we've talked about this before, but I just wanted to spend two seconds on this right now. So uh, Brad Weiser writes in, that other college football programs celebrate their great players, coaches with statues. So we've, ne- we've got nothing other than the Dooley statue that you need a GPS to be able to find on the absolute edge of campus. I mean, nothing for Herschel, Pollock, Sinkwich, et cetera. And I have to admit that I think that's really weird, too. Now, in the case of the Dooley thing, we sort of know what that's about. Like Vince Dooley ought to have a statue, you know, at Sanford Stadium, and it ought to be easy for everybody to find. And the fact that it's way on the other side, kind of next to the Buttsmere Heritage Hall, like that's almost specifically related to kind of a feud that was in place at the time. And there have been a lot of people who've written about this you know, the kind of the feud that he had with uh, Michael Adams, the the university president, and kind of some of the, you know, stuff related to some of that kind of stuff. Like, that was just the sort of, I say politics, not in like the Republican-Democrat sense, but kind of like the, you know, the sort of, you know, infighting that exists within a lot of organizations. And it seems like, you know, there was, you know, some of that kind of tied up into that. Like, I I think there were, you know, boosters involved and all that kind of stuff. There have been books written about this. And, so that sort of explains why the Dooley statue is sort of located where it is. It's a disservice to Dooley's legacy at UGA, and yet you can also kind of trace back, well, how come he was mistreated there? Oh, okay, there was this other thing that was kind of going on. It just seems like, you know, that's the explanation there for that. But in terms of like the Herschel thing and the other stuff, and Herschel being the most specific example here, and 
like I realized that, you know, Herschel means something different to all people now because it's a, more of a political story and some people support him, some people don't. That's just kind of the nature of like electoral politics. And that's kind of the the, the realm that Herschel's in now. But keeping this just to kind of like the the boundaries of a football player, the idea that Herschel Walker doesn't have a statue at UGA is bizarre. It's 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 so strange. And when I've brought this up to serious people in the past, like people that had you know, the power to either, you know, potentially leverage a decision like that or you know people who are in contact with truly powerful people like the answer i always get back is not very satisfying to me i have to admit it's always some version of well you know if you give a statue to herschel you got to give one to frank sequich as uh, brad weiser mentions here or or charlie trippy or anybody else and my thought on this has always been well okay maybe you should do that i mean my tolerance level for statues is actually pretty high i i wouldn't mind seeing georgia have a good number of you know something to honor its great players like at alabama every coach that's won a national championship gets a statue at florida every player that's won a heisman trophy gets a statue there's some criteria there for like how you get a statue and there are a few of them at georgia there are plenty of people whether it be coaches players whatever else that are kind of worthy of statue however you want to define that and yet they don't really have anything like that and i just don't think there's ever been a very good answer as to kind of why that is there is a herschel statue it was non-commissioned and i guess the sense that i get is just to be completely frank there's not every, not everybody loved the statue it was sort of made without you know any kind of like commissioning on the part of uga and the thought here was well if herschel ever got a statue it should be a different statue than this one for i guess you know whatever reason but it is just really really strange and the more people try to pretend like, well, it's not that strange, I think the stranger it all gets. I don't think Georgia's done enough to honor its history. I really, really don't. And I don't completely know why it hasn't. I have my ideas, but I, you know, don't, you know, the, the fact that, um, uh, that, that the fact that there never seems to be any kind of like satisfactory resolution to this topic is, I, I agree with Brad. I think it's a very odd thing. I do. And that's a great comment. And we appreciate you being here for us, part of our R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. And we'll do this again with you tomorrow there as well. You can find R.S. Andrews online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. They'll show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised with the price that's promised, including getting your air conditioning unit tuned back up to factory fresh specs. So find them online at R.S. Andrews. They'll get you air conditioning running and humming again and it only cost you 99 bucks so check them out online rsandrews.com for that and we'll see you tomorrow for dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia